Hey guys, thanks for listening to this message from Soli Church. Our prayer is that this message would be a blessing and resource for you. But no sermon or podcast can ever take the place of being connected to a local church. If you're in or around the Ventura County area, we would love for you to join us. You can find when and where we're meeting by visiting solelychurch.com. S-O-L-I church.com. Rest in Jesus, Christian. All right, everybody, let's come together. Chris might want to turn this down a little bit. I seem to be hot today. All right. If we could all take a seat. We will begin this morning talking about raising children and teens in the faith. And just in advance, I want you to know, obviously, in 40 minutes, I cannot cover everything. I'm going to fly through some things. I'm sure there'll be questions, but we cannot answer them all. But I have a second shot at this in October. So what I don't finish today, I'll be able to link over to the end of October and go from there. So I'm going to open with a verse and then pray and then we'll jump in. Okay, Isaiah 65 is kind of our verse for these sessions on raising children and teens in the faith. Isaiah 65 verse 23, speaking of in the days of Messiah, they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, one of the great privileges and responsibilities of life is to receive the gift of children into the world and to recognize that you have delegated that season of life to us as parents for a divine purpose. So I pray as we begin looking at this this morning and then finish it in a, in a couple of weeks. I pray that you'd bless those who are here, that as they listen to wisdom from your word, they would give consideration to these things. Think through them. Practice them. And glorify your name through them. And may our children be on the receiving end of their inheritance that you have promised them to be their God and the God of their children after them. In Jesus' name we pray, and amen. So as we, as we begin talking about children and teens and raising children in the Lord, I just want to remind us today that Psalm 127 and Psalm 128 tell us that children are a treasure from the Lord. Children are a gift from the Lord. And so children can never be seen under any circumstances as an inconvenience or an interruption or a parenthesis in our lives. Children must be seen as a part of the gift and treasure that God gives to us. And what that means then is, is that we don't have a right to live our lives through our children. 
We don't get to take a look at our children and say, well, I didn't have this life, and so I'm going to live my life through my children, the life I didn't have, or I'm going to give my children the life that I did not have, or I'm going to not give my children the life that I did have. It's not about living our lives almost in an avatar fashion through our children like many people often do. But it's also not about the lives of our children just by themselves on their own either. Children are a treasure from the Lord. Children are a gift from the Lord to be raised for the Lord. They're not to be raised for our city. They're not to be raised for our name. They're to be raised for the city of God. And if they are citizens of the city of God who are faithful, then they'll be citizens of the city of man and be faithful as well. Our children are ours for a season. They are a stewardship that is just for a time before we turn them out to go and make a new covenant with a husband or a wife and begin again God's story in the world. And so we have them for that precious, precious time. And what that means, and I'm going to be very strong here, What that means is that we have to acknowledge from the very beginning with our children that we are not wiser than God. I've been a pastor for a very, very long time. I've been a parent for almost 30 years. And if I had a nickel for every time young parents, first-time parents, thought they were wiser than God, and wiser than his word, Teresa and I would be retired and own one of the Hawaiian islands, okay? Because because all young parents think they're wiser than everybody that's come before them, and ultimately many young parents think they're, and even those who are not new, think they're wiser and smarter than God. And if we look in God's word, it's not unclear how to raise children in the faith. But there's always that parent that raises their hand and says, yes, but my case is special. My child, there's never been a situation like my child, hmm. And what winds up happening is we subvert the wisdom of God for our own wisdom. And in the book of Proverbs, there's only one option for the other side of wisdom, and that's foolishness. And if we decide that God's ways are antiquated, if we decide that God's ways are old, archaic, and if we seek to improve upon God's ways, if we seek to subtract from God's ways, if we seek to add and layer to God's ways, then let's not be surprised if our children wind up growing up and becoming fools because they weren't raised under the actual wisdom of God revealed in his word and literally stuffed into the book of Proverbs, which is the wisdom literature of the Bible. And so our greatest concern would be whether or not we're raising our children according to what the Word of God says and submitting our families and our children to the Word of God. And so every parent is going to raise their child from the promise. The promise of God that says, I promise to be God to you and to your children after you. We're all going to raise our children from that place, okay? Because we are those who believe the grace of God comes first, the promise of God comes first. We can't, this is not about works. 
This is not about raw power, raw works. We oftentimes approach parenting in that way, okay? Our children don't come to us as a tabula rasa. They don't come to us as a clean slate that we can all of a sudden begin to craft. They come to us as inheritors of Adam's original sin. And if they didn't come to us with the promise of God, that our God would be God to us and to our children afterwards, we'd be staring into an abyss. But because we have that promise, we, we raise our children out of that promise, trusting in that promise. But that trust does not lead to presumption, okay? Because we have a promise from God, that does not lead us to presume that there's no actual part that we have to play in the raising of our children. Oh, God's made a promise to be God to our children, hands off, let them go, the covenant will grab them. No, okay? No. Because God has not only given the promise, he's also given us the practices to raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So the first thing, obviously, when you don't presume is you pray. The most important thing that you can do for your children is pray for them. Every single day. And when you have grandchildren, I pray for my grandchildren every morning for God to save them and for God to protect them in their lives. And so I'll give it to, I'll put it to you this way. You should talk to God about your children before you talk to your children about God. It's an easy way to remember it. You should talk to God about your children before you talk to your children about God, which means you do both. <laughs> you pray for your children and you talk to your children about God. But children that are not prayed for are children whose lives are presumed upon. And we don't want to presume upon the lives of our children, okay? We want to pray for the Lord's protection, pray for their salvation, pray for their sanctification, pray for their future mates. My wife has journals and journals and journals and journals of prayer that she keeps, that she can bring out uh, and just to be a stack of journals for all the, that are Jordan's entire life of the things that she prayed for Jordan. And there was always, always from her infancy prayers for Jeff, even though we didn't know his name at the time. And then when God answered that prayer with Jeff, that's who she had been praying for. But there's a record of that. There's a record of that praying for Jordan's life and a record of that praying for Jeff. And so first thing is we, 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 we parent from the promise, we parent through prayer, okay? And then now from infancy, okay, from infancy, you must direct your children to Jesus Christ and his perfect sacrifice as the only ground and foundation for salvation. You must always and ever be pointing your children to Jesus Christ. You must ever and forever, never stopping, saturate your children with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this has to happen formally, and this has to happen informally, okay? Formally and informally. Formally, 
It happens in two ways. You saturate your children with the gospel of Jesus Christ formally, first by situating them in the worship of the church, where the means of grace are. That's why our children are with us in the church service, okay? But secondly, you do that through formally teaching them and instructing them in the catechism, which is where the doctrines are taught. And so we have many teaching tools, the Heidelberg Catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the Westminster Larger Catechism, the New City Catechism. There's a number of different catechetical tools that teach our children the instruction of the gospel, what it is, what it means, who it's about, and the like. And so our children must grow up knowing the gospel as the narrative of their life, knowing the gospel, in, in knowing it in, in instruction, knowing it in worship. But let me bring this to the other side. We must always bring the gospel to bear in all of our discipline. Let me just say this right now. If you can discipline your children in under 30 seconds, you are not disciplining them. I'm just telling you right now, you are Montessori in the whole thing. I know, I did it. I know what it takes to take a child, stop a child from being foolish, stop a child from throwing a fit, sorry Jordan, get the child no longer flailing, look the child in the eyes, and explain to them why it is that what they did was disobedience. Explain to them why at this point in time they need to repent of their disobedience. At that moment, apply the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so that they understand that from heaven and on earth they are forgiven for this very thing that they have done in disobedience and then give them the consequences of their disobedience, which oftentimes is a visit to the rear. That takes a long time to do that times a thousand times. But it's absolutely vital and it's absolutely necessary. Your children in the context of discipline should never be left after the discipline is over feeling the guilt. The guilt should be absolved. And they should never be doing a walk of shame unless the sin was public and it has to be answered in a public way. You are leaving the discipline not Christian. If your children leave the discipline moment and are bearing the guilt and the shame, okay? Every Sunday, your pastor stands up here and says to you, you are righteous. You are forgiven. You are absolved. And every time your pastor says that, he knows you're going to do that later this afternoon again. Okay? But you live in that freedom. You need to have that freedom on purpose. Our, our children should never be weighed down with the guilt of past sins. Our children should never be weighed down with the shame of past sins. That's very, very important for us to understand. Every discipline is a long, hard gospel transaction with our children so that they are truly absolved when the discipline is over. Now, you say, but what about consequences? Yeah. Consequences do not mean that they're still guilty. And consequences are not about shame. Consequences are the reverberation of actions done. 
But whatever the consequences are that might follow the discipline, right? Okay, say your child does something in disobedience and they end up breaking something and so they have to, you know, maybe work a couple of Saturdays in the backyard to pay for it. Those are the consequences. They are not doing that to, to work off the guilt. <laughs> the consequences of restitution, they're not doing that to work off the guilt. And they can't be doing that to work off the shame. They have to do that work. The consequences, the restitution in the fullness of being free from the guilt and free from the shame, forgiven, just like you do, just like you do your restitution, just like you get it, okay, as adults. That, that's the world that our, our children should live in. In other words, we keep short accounts in the Christian home. The Christian home does not have long accounts. The Christian home does not have records of wrong. Okay? The Christian home keeps short accounts, brings the gospel to bear, and even with consequences, your children are still not feeling the guilt or the shame because they have repented before the Lord and received the due discipline. That's very, very, very important. Okay? Because then children come to love the gospel. And as you and I know, law never leads to obedience, forgiveness does. It's the forgiven who obey. It's the redeemed who obey, okay? That's what happens. Thirdly, we must call our children to heartfelt obedience to God and to their parents, okay? Just because the gospel is the gospel, okay? And the gospel leads to forgiveness from guilt and shame does not mean that obedience in the home is somehow an option because the gospel is present in the home. And so as parents, we are responsible to lead our children to heartfelt obedience to God and to their parents in that order, okay? In that order. Our children must always know that in obeying mom and dad, they are obeying God, okay? Authority in the home can never be absolute with the father, okay? It can never be. The father himself is under the authority of another, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, under the authority of God. It's much, it's much more pleasant to submit to someone who submits to someone than to someone who submits to no one and is a tyrant to everyone, okay? So fathers putting our obedience to God on regular display as a man under authority makes the home feel a lot less hypocritical, okay? But also that order, okay? That order. When you have the tendency to think that your child's disobedience stops with you, you're missing the point, okay? Because on judgment day, you're not who they're standing before. God is. And so from the very beginning, a God-saturated home will always lead our children to the fact that when you disobey mommy and daddy, you're disobeying God, okay? And, that's, and, and mommy and daddy even obey have the responsibility to disobey God. 
So what that means is your children should regularly see you repenting before each other as husband and wife and regularly before them. If you are that parent who thinks you are too good to repent before your children, you're going to raise hypocrites, okay? You, you have got, if you sin in front of your children, you've sinned publicly. And the best thing you can do and the thing you must do is you have to go to your children and say, you know what? Your dad raised his voice at your mother. And that was completely out of line. That was disobedience by your father. He has repented to God. He has asked your mother for forgiveness and repented. And now I'm asking you for forgiveness as well because that was disobedience in your presence. And as your dad, I don't get to get away with that, okay? That kind of home that keeps short accounts on all of those ways is a gospel home. The, The accounts are always short, okay? They're always short, okay? And so that's very, 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 very important. But that does not mean that, listen, that does not mean that obedience for your children is an option, okay? This is very important. Obedience for children in the Bible is not a suggestion. It's not an option. It's not a helpful thought, okay? God doesn't say, here are the 10 suggestions, okay? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, okay? Heartfelt obedience is the responsibility of our children, and the Bible never equivocates. The Bible never equivocates on this issue, that somehow disobedience in children is okay, that disobedience in children is somehow cute, Church, listen to me. Something that put Jesus on the cross is never cute. And if we make sin cute, if we make disobedience cute and laughable in our homes, that's a problem, okay? Obedience is obedience. Disobedience is disobedience. And those things need to be clear. Now, uh, something that's very, very, very important, okay? And you, as wise parents, understand this. Wise parents understand the difference between childishness and willful disobedience. Your child carrying a glass back to the kitchen, tripping and falling and breaking your favorite glass is not worthy of disobe- it's not disobedience and it's not worthy of discipline. It's worthy of help clean up the glass. That's childishness, okay? Children will do childish things. And if children live in fear of not being able to be childish, what a tyrannical way to live. Now, if you had told your child, here is this glass, I would like you to put it in the kitchen for me. Do not run. And then the child says, football and runs and then face plants in the kitchen and breaks it. That's not childishness. That's disobedience because the expectation was there. The expectation was broken and denied. Disobedience was there and that should come with the responsibility of clean it up and let's visit the ear gate and the rear gate. That's, that's the time for those things, okay? But my point is this, we are, and wise parents understand the difference between childishness and disobedience and foolishness. 
But if you do not lead your children to first-time obedience when they are small, it will be trouble later on, okay? When your children are small, that is when the cement is a little wet and before it hardens, the twig needs to be bent to first-time obedience. And it's really, really, really straightforward for small children, okay? It's really straightforward for small children. Three things. This should be the boundary that your small children live in. No disobedience, no lying, and you never dishonor mama. Those are the three. Those are the three rules in your house. You do not disobey, you do not lie, and you do not disobey and dishonor your mother, okay? Those are, for small children, that's, it's, it's easy for them to understand that. It's easy for them to get that. I don't disobey mommy and daddy, I don't lie, I tell the truth, and when daddy's not around, I don't, I don't try to get mama all Twitter-pated because maybe we can't, okay? In some homes, that doesn't have to worry. Sometimes in some homes, the mom is a real strong character. We don't have to worry about that. But oftentimes, children are left with their mothers and the father's gone and the wait till your father comes home uh, kind of thing. I, I taught Jordan this when she was really, really young because we homeschooled, which meant Teresa was spending a lot of time with Jordan. I said, every time you want to look at your mother and dishonor her, you need to have the image of my face right behind her looking at you, because I am. When she looks at you, I'm looking at you, okay? I'm there with her in that moment. And if you dishonor your mama, I'm gonna deal with you, okay? Um, that, that, those are three, but the, but the expectations there are clear for small children. No disobedience, no lying, no dishonoring mama. And we keep those things tight and we, and we, and we, we discipline on those to train the twig, you see. And if our children can learn obedience, heartfelt obedience, learn to tell the truth, and learn to honor their mother, they're honoring the fifth commandment, okay? And you're raising them in terms of the gospel, okay? Children that are young, that are littles, need close and careful oversight for that season of life, okay? Now, wise parents will know this, and then I'm gonna move, I gotta move the team, so let me rush, let me do some of this. And like I said, some of this I'm gonna pick up later, okay? This is, this is a helpful thing. Preschool children, preschool children are shaped, okay? Through ear and rear, okay? Preschool children are shaped through ear and rear. Elementary children are taught, okay? The twig's already kind of go where it's going. They're taught through ear and rear. Teens are directed by love and loyalty. And adult children are advised, okay? You can advise your adult children, but it's their liberty to take it or not and to live with that, okay? So preschool children are shaped through ear and rear. Elementary children are taught through ear and rear. Teens are directed relationally through love and loyalty and fear of the Lord. And then adult children are advised. So let me take, because we started late, let me take about three minutes 
and just give you a few things to think about regarding discipline. Then we'll talk about teens for a little bit. And then at the end, when, the next time I do this, I will finish up what I, what I leave on the cutting room floor today. Some things when you go to discipline your child, which means you're going to admonish them, apply the gospel to them, and maybe apply the rod to them. When you are applying the admonishment, the gospel, and the rod, these are things that you need to consider. Number one, you discipline in love, never in wrath. If you're angry, go out and hit a wall. You never hit your children. Okay? Don't. I don't care how mad you are. Your children is not the venting point for your anger. Okay? So you go out and you throw a ball against the wall. You throw some plates against the wall. You get a grip, then you come back in because the purpose of your discipline is not to take out your anger on your children. The purpose of the discipline is to direct your children to the Lord. And if you're not acting like the Lord when you do it, then there's a problem, okay? Secondly, you discipline after instruction and reproof, I find is the best way. After instruction and reproof. Because here's why, okay? The purpose of discipline is not pain. If the purpose of discipline was just pain, do it in wrath. If the purpose of discipline is just pain, do it without exhortation and reproof. But the purpose of discipline is not pain, okay? Pain is a means to a greater end, okay? Please understand that. We're disciplining so that our children will have heartfelt obedience in their lives and live in freedom, right? You've all seen the kid in the grocery store, right? Most of the time it's not yours. But that kid who's absolutely lost his noodle. And it takes six parents and three armed guards to calm the child down, right? Would you consider that child to be free or a slave? It's a slave, right? It's a slave. So the reason why you want to disobey, I mean, why you want to discipline after instruction and reproof is because pain is not what you're trying to dole out. You're trying to deliver the children from slavery to self into freedom, okay? So you discipline after instruction and reproof, discipline in love, discipline in honor, okay? Discipline in honor. Your children are imago Dei, okay? Your children are image bearers of God, which means you don't want to humiliate them unnecessarily. You don't want to publicly shame them unnecessarily. If they sin in public, they should repent in public and make it right in public, but not for the purpose of shaming. If they sin in private, keep it private, right? If you've got a child that sins and the other brothers or sisters are not around and you dealt with it, how dare you bring it up at the dinner table? That's done. It's under the blood. It's finished. It's over. Keep the short account. Don't make the child relive the pain. Don't make the child relive the guilt. Don't make the child relive the shame. Okay? In our house, unless you're talking about God, and Teresa had this happen to her yesterday and she got it, I called her on it. Okay? I never do it. You are not allowed to say you always and you never. Not allowed to say it. The only person who always and nevers is God. Okay? The rest of us don't always and never, because here's why. If you keep a short account, there's no always or never. There's nothing. You're starting over again with every time the account gets taken care of. So there can't be an always or a never if it's forgiven. God doesn't say to David Deutsch, oops, you did it again. No forgiveness on this Sunday. 70 times seven is run out. You're right at the end of the 70 times seven. No, no. 
So we start over again. Our kids start fresh again. We don't do that with them, okay? We discipline consistently. And then lastly, I'll just say this. We discipline for repentance. We're, we're trying to move our children to repentance. Those are just some things to think about as you raise your children in the home. Let me talk about raising teens for a little bit because this is a little bit of a different situation, okay? If your teen still needs the rod, okay? If your teen still needs the rod, then I would consider you doing some fasting and some praying for that child. Um, Because if they're still being that kind of disobedient in that kind of way, then yeah, we, we probably need a lot of prayer and a lot of conversation with respect to that child. Because normally if discipline is done rightly and the gospel is uh, just the aroma of the home for the, t- for the duration of the child's life, by the time they get to their teen years, you're dealing with three things. It's, and it's all relational. It's all relational. You're dealing with love, you're dealing with loyalty, and you're dealing with fear of the Lord. That, 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 that's where you're at with your, with your teens. Love, loyalty, and fear of the Lord, okay? Now listen, the worst thing you can do when your children become teens, the worst thing you can do is to think you are done with your children. I got you to 13. Have a good life. No, 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 no. I'm going to even say this. From a relational perspective, your children need you more when they're teenagers than they do when they're children. From a relational perspective. They don't need you less. They need you more. It's just that the way things are done changes. It moves relationally into an areas of, 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 of a communion of love where you have your teenager's heart so you have their loyalty. And because you have their loyalty, you're able to teach them that the most important thing in their life is the fear of the Lord. Because here's why. They have now liberties and an expanded life that are beyond oftentimes your looking eyes. What's going to keep your teenager from crossing the line when you're not there? What's gonna keep your teenager from crossing the line when all of their friends are telling them it's just once? Fear of the Lord and loyalty, loyalty, okay? That it means something to be a Christian and it means something to be a noise. It means something to be a Christian and it means something to be a Lasala. It means something to be a Christian And it means something to be whatever your last name is. That it means something to your children. And so relationally then, there's this combination of love, loyalty, and fear of 
the Lord. And of course, the most important thing is fear of the Lord, which means you cannot stop parenting your teens. They need your guidance. They need your direction. They need your eyes to help them see what they think they already see, but what they only see a part of that you see much more clearly. And for you teenagers that are here, you need the eyes of your elders. You need the eyes of your parents. You need the eyes of your pastors. You need the eyes of those who've gone before you to help you see more fully what you do not see right now, though you think you oftentimes do, okay? And you need to keep a relationship with your parents, not trying to escape that relationship, but remain in a relationship of security and love and loyalty and fear of the Lord, which means, parents, let me encourage you right now, that means you should be spending time with your teenagers in the book of Proverbs. Your teenagers need the book of Proverbs more than than they need any other book in the Bible at all. The book of Proverbs covers it all. It covers everything about relationships, sexuality, wisdom, foolishness, life, Economic, everything is covered in the book of Proverbs. You should regularly be spending time reading the book of Proverbs with your teenagers and just having conversations about it in the context of love, loyalty, and fear of the Lord. So that there's wisdom that's on the, see what happened, see what happened to this guy when he went here in the book of Proverbs? That's what happens to every fool that goes that way, okay? The guidance is don't be a fool, wisdom takes you this way. But for some reason, we've taken out the book of Proverbs from our homes and, our, and, our, and, and, and we've moved it down and we just think the wee ones need the book of Proverbs. No, your, your older children, your teenagers need the book of Proverbs way, way more than your young ones do. Your young ones are going to get the book of Proverbs here oftentimes. Your older ones need it here and here and incarnated out. Because here's why. The teenagers that we're dealing with today, and I'll wrap up in two minutes, the issues that, they're, that they face are anxiety, insecurity, the sexual motor, and independence. Those are the four things that every teenager is facing, okay? Anxiety. The home is the place where the stability is supposed to be provided for that anxiety. Insecurity. We don't need our daughters going to that fool boy to find their security. They need to be able to find their security at home in the loving context of that home. So be that dad. Be that dad that says, I've got me, I have brothers, we have uncles, and we have deacons. When you get through all them, you can get to my daughter. Okay? Um, Be that dad. Be that dad that cares about the purity of your children, both boys and girls. This is related to porn issues, lust issues, and all that. Be that parent that recognizes that road and the darkness of that road. So the insecurity issue is answered in the home. Thirdly, the sexual motor is running by that time. Girls that are in high school and younger can conceive children, people. 
So if you act like that doesn't exist in the world, you're not being a good parent, okay? If you, oh, that's the dirty stuff. No, it's not, it's life, that's how you got here. That's how they got here. And if you don't have those type of relational love, loyalty, fear of the Lord conversations, your children will find out elsewhere how it all works. Sometimes by trying it out, okay? So relationships between parents and teens help harmonize and keep that from happening. And then independence issues. Your, you teenagers should understand and you parents should understand the teenage years are a time of interdependence. Not independence and not complete dependence. If they're still completely dependent, there's a problem. If you've let them go into independence, there's a big problem, okay? It's interdependence. It's as they mature and as they show themselves faithful with little, you grant them the freedom to have faithful with more. Now, I'm going to talk more about these things and I'll build a little bit more on the teen thing. We'll finish a little bit more on the discipline thing and we'll talk about children and worship the next time I do this, which is on October 16th, I believe. But please take these things and consider them wherever your situation is at with whatever children you have. I pray this has been a blessing. I pray it's been beneficial. I pray there's one thing you can grab and go home with and say, hadn't thought about that and that that way, this, was been, this has been helpful. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom of your word. I pray this was a blessing for all the families that were here. Lord, we all know that we fall short as parents, and I know that for me, myself, I'm the chief of them. But there's your grace, and there's your promise, and we live out of that. And thank you for the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 